Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 15th day of February 2024. This is episode 857 of Bitcoin. And the Circle P is open for business as it normally is. The Circle P is the way that I can showcase plebs and what they love to do and goods and services that they have for sale for Bitcoin. If they're not selling it for Bitcoin, they're not in the Circle P. Today's featured artist is Maple Trade. That's right, Maple Trade, aka Bisnerds, at B E I S N E R D S, both on Twitter and on Noster. He makes maple syrup experience the unmatched and luxurious taste of nature. With our exclusive artisanal handmade maple syrup, sourced from only the most premium maple trees, every bottle weaves a story of tradition and unparalleled quality, ideal for transforming pancakes, waffles, or any cherished recipe into a masterpiece of sweet, complex flavors. Elevate your culinary creations with a drizzle of our exquisite amber nectar. Don't wait. Discover the extraordinary difference that true craftsmanship brings to your table. Order now and redefine sweetness. That's right. He makes all this stuff by hand. He makes his maple syrup by hand. He taps the trees himself. He collects the saps himself. He takes the sap and boils it down himself over a wood fire and evaporates all, well, not all, but most of the water out of it until it just comes together as maple syrup. And he's got a couple of different grades. There's an ultralight and there's an amber, but then not to be missed, he has a cooking grade. And I honestly, I honestly think uh, that cooking grade makes, it's sort of a disservice in my opinion, because this stuff is packed with maple flavor. And I mean, I get it. I get it. You know, maybe you don't want that much maple and I've got maple in quotes, you know, flavor on your pancakes, but my God almighty as a glaze with like maybe infused with lemon rind over baked salmon. Oh my God. It's just, it's exquisite. And if you tell him that you heard his maple about his maple syrup on the Bitcoin and show in the circle P he will cut me in on some of that sweet, sweet Satoshi action. Now in very weird, we live in a weird world, a very extremely strange ass world. And how strange does it get? You might ask it gets this strange. Elizabeth Warren has pivoted on Bitcoin and honors Satoshi Nakamoto with a flag over the United States Capitol. Do you think that that's weird enough? 
well, we're going to get into it being even weirder. Bitcoin Magazine starts us off, Mark Goodwin writing, <clears throat> in an unexpected turn of events, Elizabeth Warren, the longtime adversary of Bitcoin on Capitol Hill, has seen the orange tinted light and quite literally raised a flag to praise the work of Bitcoin's anonymous creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, celebrating 15 years since the network launched. And here it is. I've got, I've actually got a, uh, here I'll, I'll, for the guys over there in uh, <clears throat> the zap.stream in the live stream, here's a picture of the, uh, oh, I don't know, the certificate. And the certificate has the seal of the United States Senate on it. And it states, the flag of the United States of America. This is to certify that the accompanying flag was flown over the United States Capitol in honor of Satoshi Nakamoto. For the 15th anniversary of Bitcoin, the first truly inclusive financial system that is providing new economic freedoms to populations previously ignored by both public and private institutions, Americans are forever grateful. Signed, Elizabeth Warren, United States Senator for Massachusetts. Near as I can tell, it's real, but it gets weird. Hold on. In participation of the Capital Flag Program, Senator Warren's office submitted a request to commemorate Nakamoto's accomplishment for creating the first truly inclusive financial system with the colors of the United States being flown above the Capitol on December the 18th, 2023, a date known to Bitcoiners as Hoddle Day. While the sudden embrace... <laughs> of Bitcoin by the Massachusetts Senator. Hold on, I get, I'm going to put this back over here where I could read it the way that I normally read it because I just messed myself up. While the sudden embrace of Bitcoin by the Massachusetts Senator may seem a surprise, her career-long rhetoric about fighting for the financially underserved has finally taken shape within this tangible statement. As if speaking to her campaign promises to champion the working class negatively affected by corruption within both the government and the banking sector, the certificate produced by the architect of the Capitol in recognition of the flag notes the, quote, new economic freedoms to populations previously ignored by both private and public institutions, end quote, brought forward by Nakamoto's Bitcoin. The senator's office filing for the flag flying itself was noticed by friends of Bitcoin magazine PubKey who are holding a public event in New York City this evening, February the 15th at 6 p.m. EST, to unveil not only the story of the flag, but the flag itself, complete with the dramatized reading of the infamous December 18th, 2013 post on Bitcoin talk that immortalized HODL within the Bitcoin lexicon from actor, comedian, and Bitcoiner T.J. Miller. Prior to the event itself, a Twitter spaces hosted by Bitcoin Magazine and PubKey at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, will further tell the story of how Satoshi's flag and Warren's endorsement came to be. Much like during the mid-1770s, freedom-focused bars such as PubKey played an important role in socializing the ideas and stories that made up the American Revolution. Thomas Pachia, co-founder of PubKey, made note of the senator's pivot when speaking with Bitcoin Magazine, quote, This is a historic moment for how politicians in Washington view the promise and inclusivity of the Bitcoin protocol. What politicians do is much more important than what they say. Her website describes her as a leading voice for consumer protection, 
financial reform, and social justice. And her recent action of promoting Satoshi's work seems to be in total alignment with her stated political mission. Only one week before order, Warren ordered the flag flown, the senator introduced legislation to give the Treasury more tools to restrict the criminal usage of Bitcoin, making bold comments that they need new laws to crack down on crypto's use in enabling terrorist groups, rogue nations, drug lords, ransomware gangs, and fraudsters to launder billions in stolen funds, evade sanctions, fund illegal weapons programs, and profit from devastating cyber attacks. I cannot believe she forgot to mention the children. Won't somebody think about the children? Anyway, she even went so far as to make note of creating an anti-crypto army in March of last year in her bid for re-election. Warren had co-authored a letter to Fidelity CEO Abigail Johnson in May of 2022, raising concerns about putting Bitcoin within their 401ks, stating that, quote, Investing in cryptocurrencies is a risky and speculative gamble, and we're concerned that Fidelity would take these risks with millions of Americans' retirement savings. Now that U.S. regulatory agencies such as the SEC have allowed the approval of 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs, including Fidelity's FBTC, Warren has changed her tone, recognizing the immense economic freedom brought about by such a novel technology and now joins a growing group of elected officials throwing their name behind Nakamoto's protocol. (laughs) Bitcoin Magazine and PubKey encourage Bitcoiners to take polite note of this change of heart by reaching out to Warren's office directly, as well as tagging her on Twitter and thanking her for championing Satoshi Nakamoto and recognizing him as the hero that he is. Okay, so that's Mark Goodwin. I think we're all being trolled. I do. And I don't I don't think that this is false. I think that they did fly a flag. I pretty much am sure that it is certified because it was be, it's being flown for Satoshi Nakamoto. But here's the catch. I posted this on Noster, the 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 link to the Bitcoin magazine and I was like, I don't know, this is just really weird or something like that along with it, and somebody wrote back. Who wrote back on Noster. Let's find out. It seems to be Dan Webb. Or wait a minute. No, Kisa. Sorry, Kisa. Uh, K-E-Y-S-A. Simple Bitcoin book. uh, No, simplest Bitcoin book? Anyway, it's Kisa. Just look for Kisa. K-E-Y-S-A. And Kisa says, it had to be this. And gives me a screenshot from Dan Webb. Dan Webb, and I'm presuming this is out of Dead Bird Sight, says, Capital Flag Program. Anyone can contact their senator or congressman via the program website to purchase a flag that has been flown on one of the program's designated flagpoles each day. Some intern in their office fulfills the request and uses the signature machine all senators have to sign the certificate on the senator's behalf. And there's like a little, there's this, there's this, uh, was it? Sign script, it shows a picture of this machine that apparently is able to sign in the fashion of whoever programmed in their signature. And in this case, it would be Senator Elizabeth Warren. So I think here's what happened. I'm getting the feeling that PubKey called Senator Warren's office and made this happen through what's known as the Capital Flag Program. (laughs) 
And now, now the ask from Bitcoin Magazine, and maybe they're in on it, I don't know. But see, the way that the article is is written is as if it's completely above board. That Senator Warren just one day had a woke up and had a change of heart and decided to thank Satoshi Nakamoto for his contribution to the world. I don't think that happened at all. I think Senator Warren is just now getting wind of this because I'll bet you, I'll bet you that the ask from Bitcoin Magazine to tag her on Dead Bird Side, aka Twitter, is working. And I'm going to do it. I know I'm going to thank her profusely for finally coming to terms with her inevitable instinction, along with all the rest of the dinosaurs in the Senate and House of Representatives. Let's move on. DLCs. Evolving to meet institutional needs. Have you ever wondered what the hell a DLC is? It stands for discrete log contract. Well, we're going to get into this one, and it's brought to you by Shinobi out of Bitcoin Magazine. Be aware. Shinobi is a difficult read. He writes well. He's He has a tendency to be technical. But I wanted to put this in because DLCs have been batted about, and I'm sure that somebody out there listening is like, doesn't have time to fig- dig into this shit and figure out what the hell a discrete log contract even means. So I'm going to let Shinobi do the talking. Just understand, he's a difficult read. He's also a difficult listen. Doesn't mean he's wrong. The guy's brilliant, but hey, let's let's just go with it. <coughs> Discrete law contracts. An old concept in this space at this point, proposed by Thaddeus Dreija, co-creator of the Lightning Network Protocol in 2017. DLCs are a smart contract structure designed to address three issues with contract schemes prior to the proposal. Firstly, the scalability of the smart contract itself. Secondly, the issue of getting data external to the blockchain into the blockchain for contract settlement. And lastly, the privacy of users of that smart contract. The basic scheme is very simple. Two parties create a multi-sig address composed of the two of them and choose an oracle. After doing so, they create a set of contract execution transactions that interact with the oracle that they chose. Say the oracle is announcing the price of Bitcoin and the participants are betting on the price of Bitcoin. What the oracle does is publish a set of commitments to the message it will sign in order to announce the price of Bitcoin at a given time. The CETs are constructed so that the signature on each CET one participant gives to the other is encrypted using adapter signatures. Each signature for the settlement of the contract at any given price can only be decrypted with information from the signed Oracle message attesting to that given price. The Oracle simply publishes their commitments to messages for whatever data they are acting as the Oracle for, and any participant can non-interactively use this information to make a DLC. The last piece is a time-locked refund transaction if the Oracle never broadcasts the necessary information to settle the DLC after a time-lock period extended beyond the contract lifetime has elapsed, both parties are simply refunded their money. This solves the three major issues Taj or Thaddeus delineated in the original DLC white paper. It is scalable, needing only a single transaction to fund the contract 
in a single transaction to settle it. Sorry, I got, I got distracted. Uh, it allows a way for external data to be brought into the blockchain and it solves the privacy issue in that the way oracles just blindly broadcast data to the public, they gain no insight into who is using them as an oracle in said contract. You can even use a federation of multiple oracles where if the value they attest to is close enough to each other, the contract then settles correctly. One last important thing to note with DLCs is the Oracle's lying to settle contracts incorrectly is a very different model than with a traditional escrow multisig. In the escrow model, an Oracle can choose to selectively harm a single user by signing for an improper settlement. There is the potential for mitigating the reputational damage there, but in the DLC model, an Oracle cannot do this. When they sign a message, it is used to settle every DLC connected to that settlement message and time. There is no way to selectively act malicious towards a single party because they don't know who's using them. The only real shortcoming of the scheme, aside from the inescapable trust in an oracle, is the coordination issue. Depending on the nature of the contract, say a bet on the price of Bitcoin versus bet on a sports game, there could either be a handful of CETs or a massive set of CETs to cover all potential outcomes. This opens up two problems. One, if the set of transactions is large enough, this creates the potential for network issues and DOS or denial of service attacks, wasting people's time by not completing the contract set up. Secondly, the potential for a free option problem that would necessitate an on-chain transaction to deal with. A free option issue would be if the contract is set up and finalized, but the party who winds up with the complete funding signature didn't broadcast it. And this would allow them to only fund the DLC on-chain if it was in their favor and not otherwise. And the only way for the other party to escape this situation would be to double-spend their funding output on-chain. Lightning Network Markets recently published an article describing a new DLC specification that they have designed to tailor a DLC mechanism towards institutional actors. The existing suite of projects building on DLCs have been tailored more toward retail customers, and that left room for modification to the design to address the needs of larger institutional actors. Some issues for institutional customers are the free options problem, which is not acceptable in that type of environment. The second is a lack of margin calls. For example, a position either being closed if one party doesn't have enough margin capital to cover their side of the trade at a current price, or that party adding the additional required margin to keep it open. Lastly, the ability to use capital in a more efficient way rather than having capital in one position locked up from the start to a finish of a contract. To address all of these issues, LN Markets has introduced the concept of a DLC coordinator. Rather than peers in a contract directly coordinating between each other to handle the funding and negotiation of the contract, the coordinator can sit in the middle and help facilitate this. This solves the free options problem rather elegantly by having the coordinator facilitate contract negotiations. Rather than each peer directly interacting with each other to sign the contract execution and funding transactions, they submit their signatures for all of these to the coordinator. At no point will either participant 
ever have access to the signatures needed to fund the contract, removing the ability for one of them to have a free option. The coordinator is the only one who will ever have both signatures. And to address the problem of them colluding with a participant or being malicious and not submitting the funding transactions for some other reason, the funding transaction includes a fee payment to them for functioning as a coordinator. This gives them a direct incentive to submit the funding transaction after the DLC has been negotiated and signed. Another massive efficiency is in the coordination process of constructing the DLC in the first damn place. Without the coordinator involved, participants would have to communicate with each other, exchange address and UTXO information, and then coordinate setting up the DLC. With the coordinator, users can simply register an XPUB and some UTXOs with the coordinator, as well as their offers for contract terms. When someone accepts an existing offer, the coordinator has all of the information necessary to construct the CETs, after which they can simply provide them to the person accepting the offer to verify and sign, then transmit signatures to the coordinator. The original offerer will then receive the CETs to verify and sign and return as soon as they come online and decide to accept the counterparty, sending them back to the coordinator who can then combine signatures and submit the funding transaction. Having the coordinator involved also offers a reliable communication point for adding the final missing piece for DLCs applied in a professional environment, liquidations and handling adding additional margin. There was a nice infographic from a white paper included in the article LN Markets wrote announcing the proposal, but I feel the one above is a lot more intuitive to understand. In addition to all of the CETs attached to Oracle messages for price announcements that could occur at the contract expiry, there are also special settlement transactions for periods before the actual contract expiry, the interval of which can be decided by the participants in line with the frequency that the Oracle publishes price messages at. Each party has one special CET for each one of the liquidation times, where if the price is outside of the contract range, for example, all of the funds are owed to a single side, at any of those liquidation points, they can simply submit this transaction and settle the contract earlier. If at any point approaching a liquidation time one party is at a liquidation point, they can use the coordinator to coordinate adding margin to the contract and allowing the other party to realize some of their gains by withdrawing funds from said contract. This would involve both parties collaboratively spending from the funding multisig into a new DLC that would receive more funds from the under-collateralized party and let the winning party withdraw some funds. The new DLC would be otherwise set to the same expiry time and with the same liquidation points set leading up to that. This dynamic brings the capabilities much more in line with what institutional investors expect. The ability to manage liquidity more effectively, to have a contract expire early if one party is under-collateralized based on the current market price, and the ability to add more collateral in response to a coming liquidation event. So what's the big deal? To some, this might seem like a very small series of ultimately irrelevant adjustments to the original DLC specification, but these small changes take something that, because of the existing shortcomings, didn't have much potential outside of retail consumer use and put it in the league of potentially being able to meet the needs of much larger economic actors. 
and pools of capital. If the Lightning Network was a huge jump forward for transactional use of Bitcoin, I think this has the potential to be a similar jump forward for capital and financial markets use of Bitcoin. Every use case of Bitcoin isn't going to be a use case everyone else likes or has need of, and some may even have externalities they create for other use cases, but as an open system, that is the reality of how Bitcoin works. Anyone can build on it. This proposal might not be a primary use case for many people reading this, but that shouldn't lead you to ignoring the fact that it could grow to be a very big one. Okay, again, that's Shinobi. And I'm going to... Let me give you the, the, my version of the TLDR. When DLCs or discrete law contracts, when I first heard about them, every time somebody actually tried to describe it, it was either a, somebody making a bet on the Bitcoin price or somebody betting on a football game. Sports ball. Yeah, sports ball. Like, the Niners are going to win, bro. No, man, KC's going to win. That was the whole example, was betting. And I'm sorry, especially if if you're somebody out there that likes betting. First of all, I don't understand you. I mean, I would rather take 20 bucks and throw it in a wet paper bag that's been doused with diesel and light it on fire than take it to a bookie. I had friends that all they did was bet on sports ball. And they were always losing. They just hundreds and thousands of dollars. They were just losing this money. And I was like, what? That WTF is wrong with you. Stop burning your money. But I don't understand the mindset. So therefore, I'm not going to pretend to have some kind of moral superiority. Okay, that's that's not what I'm getting at. It's just that for all the coolness that I that I was seeing out of the potential of a DLC, I was not really being fed the other end of the story. And that's what Shinobi brought is the financial markets. Margin calls, betting on liquidations, you know, like having a contract that says, I, I'm going to bet that the price of oil is going to be $78 by the end of trading today and that that's going to be my financial position and I'm going to bet on it, okay? Because again, degeneracy doesn't have to just happen in on the sports field, but once you open up into the financial markets and the DLC actually answers quite a bit of issues as to how Bitcoin can fit into the legacy financial markets. Well, all of a sudden, the DLC makes that makes that fit. The DLC connects Wall Street directly to Bitcoin. Now, sure, I'm not a fan of Wall Street, not a fan of any of the legacy financial markets in the first place. But just remember, like Shinobi said at the very end of this thing, you may not like it, but the fact remains. Anybody can build on Bitcoin. Anybody can build on Bitcoin. And that means that shit is going to get built on Bitcoin that you don't like, that you think actually negatively impacts the existence of Bitcoin. I hate to break it to you. That's never going to stop. It's just not. So get used to it now. I want to say thank you to Seth, who zapped me 2,100 sats. I want to thank you, say thank you to Puzzles with 69 Sats, both of you guys over there in the zap.stream live stream. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Now, moving on. Speaking of shit you don't like, Bitcoin ETFs, we're, I mean, they're with us forever. Okay, so we might as well figure out what the hell they're doing. Apparently, they now account for about 
75% of brand new investments, according to CryptoQuant, Zoltan Vardai is writing it for Cointelegraph. An estimated 75% of new Bitcoin investments come from the 10-spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds that were approved in the United States on January the 11th. In the past two weeks, over three-quarters of new Bitcoin investments originated from spot Bitcoin ETFs, excluding Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust, uh, according to a February 14th report by on-chain data analytics firm CryptoQuant. Quote, we estimate that over 75% of new investments into Bitcoin are coming from these ETFs. Moreover, investments from these ETFs have increased to 2% of the total historical investment in Bitcoin in just one month, as measured by the realized market capitalization, the report said. All right, that then they get into price action, which we're not going to do. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not, not going to waste your time with the with the price action of Bitcoin. You know, like 1.8 percent in the past 24 hours, because none of that shit matters now. We're actually down to 52,000. Wow, exactly 52,000, right as I speak. S- still not bad, but we actually lost about. I think we were at 52,600 uh, earlier today. In either event, oh. OXTR or Oxter, I don't know how you want to pronounce it. Uh, 420 sats over on the live stream. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. The point is, again, anybody can build on Bitcoin. Anybody can buy Bitcoin. And if anybody can buy Bitcoin, they can do whatever the hell that they want with it, including creating a spot Bitcoin ETF. And me and you, we ain't got dick to say about it. So we might as well get used to the idea. But... It seems that a lot of people were, were here's, here's the people that were on the fence about whether or not a Bitcoin ETF was good or, or rather they, they didn't think it was a bad thing. But their problem with the Bitcoin spot ETF was that they, there was a lot of people that thought that not a whole lot of people were really going to take part of it. They really weren't going to buy it. It really was just going to be a great big nothing burger. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. It is not a great big nothing burger. It's kind of a huge deal at this point. Doesn't mean I think it's good. I just think that, well, it is what it is and we're going to have to deal with it forever now. Last up for the first half of the show, Bitcoin hits 52K as BTC exchange liquidity grows at a blistering pace and it's the exchange liquidity more than the news about the price. Let's get into it. Stacy Elliott from Decrypt.co. Bitcoin broke past $52,000 early on Thursday morning. At the time of writing, the Bitcoin price is whatever. I don't care. Blah, 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 blah. Volume has climbed steadily this week with $37 billion worth of BTC having changed hands in the past day, according to CoinGecko. Wow. There's also lots to watch in the Bitcoin derivatives market. And since yesterday, the open interest in Bitcoin contracts has climbed to $24 billion. That's within spitting distance of the $24.27 billion all-time high that the market saw in April of 2021. Open interest refers to the notional value of outstanding derivative contracts like, you know, futures and options that investors use to speculate on future price movements. It's one of the ways that analysts gain insight into investor sentiment because high open interest signals intent to enter or remain in the market liquidity or expectations for upcoming volatility. And as it stands, 
the growing open interest has been accompanied by increased liquidity on exchanges, as noted by uh, blockchain analytics firm Kaiko. In fact, the firm noted on Twitter that liquidity is growing at its fastest pace in years. High liquidity tends to be a good sign for traders because it signals that an asset can be easily bought and sold without causing great big price swings. It also shrinks the spread or the difference between prices to buy and to sell an asset. The lower the spread, the lower transaction fees and slippage tend to be. The other factor to consider is how much BTC is flowing into the Bitcoin ETFs and therefore being taken off the market. Currently, there's roughly 10 times more BTC being held by custodians to back the Bitcoin ETF shares than is entering the market through the Bitcoin mining process, Gemini co-founder Cameron Winklevoss pointed out earlier this morning on Twitter. He also pointed out that when the rate at which new BTC enters the market drops by 50% after the halving in April, it could be bullish for the price of Bitcoin. The Bitcoin halving occurs roughly every four years and cuts the rewards given to Bitcoin miners in half. The next halving will trim the reward from 6.5 BTC per block to 3.25. Quote, I like where this is going, Winklevoss added. So far, Wall Street has shown a growing appetite for the newly approved Bitcoin ETFs. Just yesterday, BlackRock's iShares Bitcoin Trust saw inflows of $500 million and now has roughly $5 billion worth of assets under management. The rapid pace of inflows for the iBit Bitcoin spot ETF puts the fund in the top 7% of all ETFs, noted Bloomberg Intelligence uh, analyst Eric Balchunas. And uh, let's see, is that the end? Yeah, that's the end of the article. Just understand when they say that the iBit fund is in the top 7% of all ETFs, they don't mean that they're the top 7% of all Bitcoin ETFs. All ETFs, gold ETF, I'm sure there's a silver one, there's probably a palladium one. Hell, I'll bet there's a uranium and plutonium ETF out there floating around somewhere. There's ETFs on real estate, there's ETFs on probably used cars. This is in the top seven of all of them. All right, so yet more evidence that the launching of the Bitcoin spot ETF in the United States was not a great big nothing burger. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas intermediate up almost two points this morning, $78 and 15 cents a barrel. Brent North sea, uh, likewise up one and two thirds of a point to 82.95. Natural gas, wow, one, 1.74% to the downside, bringing it to $1.57. Sorry guys, I gotta, I gotta take a little bit, not a break. I'm just gonna look at the uh, chart, put it up over here to in zap, uh, the zap stream for the live, for the guys that are live. And let's go to all data. The last time the price of natural gas was this low, let's see, was, wow, 1995. That's right, 1995, natural gas was at a buck and a half for, per thousand cubic feet. Wow, man, I'm telling you, man, that, that Biden administration with that little move 
to kill liquid natural gas uh, production facilities in the future has really done a terrific number on the price of natural gas. Coupled with the fact that this is a fairly, apparently a fairly mild winter, even though the Northeast continues to get covered in snow all the time. So I don't know. I guess it's like they use heating oil rather than natural gas. So therefore they're buying something else. It, in either event, I just wanted to, to you know make sure that you knew that it has been since 1995. 30 years. That, we're seeing prices in natural gas that hasn't existed for 30 years. Holy shit. Gasoline is down scant $2.31. All your shiny metal rocks are doing well, including gold, up over half a point to $2,016. Silver is up two and a third. Platinum is up 0.88%. And copper is up one and a half, while palladium is beating them all. No, actually not beating them all. 1.7% to the upside now. Agriculture is fully mixed. Biggest loser today is going to be wheat. 2.5% to the downside. Biggest winner is coffee, 1.6% upside. Live cattle is up two-thirds of a point, as is lean hogs. Feeder cattle is up a quarter of a point. So there you go. Now, what are we doing with the Dow? The Dow is up half a point. The S&P is up a quarter. NASDAQ is down 0.11%, and S&P mini is up 1.17%. Now let's get into the dashboard. The price has now gone below 52000 We're back down to $51,980. We still have a $1.02 trillion market cap. There's 19628605 BTC in circulation at the present time. Average block size is 1.7 megabytes. The hash rate is 580.8 exahashes per second. Average fees per block is 0.43 Bitcoin and the block space percentage used by your favorite digital cats and ordinals and inscriptions has risen to a 2% marker, which is the highest I've seen it since I've been using Clark Moody's new dashboard, which is dashboard.clarkmoody.com. You can sign in with your Nostra keys, your pub key, not your private key, your pub key. Well, I actually know, I think... If you're using a browser extension, it'll handle the private key stuff for you. If I'm wrong and it does want your private key to be able to log in uh, via your Noster, don't put it directly into Clark uh, Clark Moody's uh, dashboard. All right? Use a browser extension, please, for the love of God. Now, uh, what else have we got here? Mm, we've got 134,000 unconfirmed transactions held within 210 blocks that are waiting to clear uh, high priority fees are going to cost you 19 satoshis per vbyte low priority is 15 and anything under 3.69 is being purged from mempools around the world and mempool.space forward slash mining is showing 616.5 exahashes per second so quite the differential there now from Teach Me Bitcoin, episode 856 of Bitcoin Hand. We have these guys that are supporting. Nick underscore Dose with 1369 says, cheers. Cheers. Uncle underscore Swim with 421 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Spank you, sir. No, spank you. Hank you, sir. No, the name's David. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. And Pies with 100 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's the weather report.
Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. The Bitcoin yen pair has hit a record high, reflecting the stress on Japan's fiat currency. I'm surprised Japan is still actually its own sovereign country at this point. Amkar Godbol going to have it for you out of Coindesk. Fiat currencies like the U.S. dollar, Japanese yen, euro, and others are not backed by a hard asset. And their value is subjective and depends entirely on market perceptions at any given point. Bitcoin's ongoing rally is telling of current market perceptions with sentiment being weakest for the Japanese yen among major fiat currencies. For instance, early Monday, the leading cryptocurrency often considered digital gold hit a new record high of 7.9 million yen on Tokyo-based cryptocurrency exchange Bitflyer. In contrast, the cryptocurrency's dollar-denominated price stood just above 52000 or 32% short of the record high of 69000 reached in November of 2021, according to data from the charting platform TradingView. The price differential reflects relative stress on the Japanese yen, stemming from the Bank of Japan's continued liquidity easing, resurgent inflation, and signs of economic weakness. The Japanese economy slipped into an economic reception recession at the end of last year, slipping to fourth place just behind Germany. While the Federal Reserve and other central banks raised interest rates aggressively in 2022 and 23 to tame inflation, the Bank of Japan kept interest rates at zero and continued printing tons of fiat money. Yeah, they've been doing that shit for like 40 years, so what's new? Japan's core inflation, which excludes the volatile food and energy component from the Consumer Price Index, climbed 3.1% in 2023, marking its biggest gain since 1982. Inflation erodes the purchasing power of fiat currencies and catalyzes investments into alternative assets with store value appeals like Bitcoin and gold. The yen depreciated 13% and 7.5% against the dollar and is down another 6.4% this year. Bitcoin could continue to trade at a premium in the Japanese yen uh, unless the Bank of Japan accelerates the planned exit from the ultra-easy monetary policy, making it relatively attractive to hold the yen over other assets. Yeah, good luck. Note that Japan, Hong Kong, and Singapore Singapore are known to have better legal clarity regarding digital asset trading than any other developed markets. That, coupled with persistent volatility in fiat currencies, could foster the growth of alternative assets like cryptocurrencies in these regions. Yeah, Japan has been, for the last 45 years, has had pretty much zero interest rates. They've had a flagging economy. It's bad, bad, bad. I the way that this the way that this story reads is that Japan is just is is like just now experiencing this. No, Japan has been experiencing this. This is old news to Japan and people that live in Japan. I I don't get why we we're thinking that this is something something new and funny. I it's just bizarre. But it does demonstrate how Bitcoin is basically showing all fiat currencies what they wish they could be. And they're never going to be that. All right. So, you know what? Hold on for a second. I want to check something before I read that one because we're starting to run a little long. Oh, no. Hold on. Ah, good Lord. No BS Bitcoin. Okay. 
from NoBSBitcoin.com. European Court of Human Rights has ruled backdoored encryption is illegal. This is actually good news. Just just wait for it. Uh, don't don't go off the headline. Quote: The European Court of Human Rights has ruled that laws requiring crippled encryption and extensive data retention violates the European Convention on Human Rights, a decision that may derail European data surveillance legislation known as chat control reporting from the register. Quote, the court issued a decision on Tuesday stating that the contested legislation providing for the retention of all internet communications of all users, the security services direct access to the data stored without adequate safeguards against abuse, and the requirement to decrypt encrypted communications as applied to end-to-end encrypted communications cannot be regarded as necessary in a democratic society. The contested legislation refers to a legal challenge that started back in 2017 after a demand from Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB, that messaging service Telegram provide technical information to assist the decryption of a user's communication. The plaintiff, Anton Valerievich Podolchov, whatever, challenged the order in Russia, but his claim was dismissed. While the ECHR decision is unlikely to have any effect within Russia, it matters to countries in Europe that are contemplating similar decryption laws such as chat control and the UK government's Online Safety Act. What the hell did we just read? Okay, let me just break it down. Everybody hates Russia because Russia bad, right? Putin bad. And Tucker Carlson interviewing Putin is makes him bad. And everybody hates Russia because we all stand with Ukraine. Yet, this court case from this Russian dude basically bitching and moaning against Russia has caused the European Council of Human Rights to basically tell all the European countries, you can't screw with encryption. This is good news. If you didn't understand my breakdown, this is good news. It's it's funny, too, because it's kind of a troll. It's the fact that of all the places that people were going to get increased freedom for their digital and online communications and this monster of a data retention bill or whatever it is that's being passed around where your shit is kept forever on like if you've touched a server and you've passed data through that server in the U, in the UK or what or the European Union the bill requires that server or at least the data that flowed through that server to be kept indefinitely forever with your name attached all over it and to decrypt all of your encrypted communications. And everybody in Europe hates Russia, right? Because of what Russia is doing to Ukraine. And yet, if it wasn't for Russia doing what they do to their own citizenry, then the European citizens wouldn't have the ability to fight a fairly what is now going to be a fairly effective battle against this crippling of encryption in the European Union. I think it's great. It's a fun troll. I mean, honestly... Putin being so authoritarian that it causes the authoritarian states of the European Union to become less authoritarian. I just find it hilarious. But we've got some more fish to fry. Why Noster? Why Noster? Why not? Why Noster? Why? 
why Noster? I'm not asking why to use Noster, where I'm actually just continuously putting into your head this new product, I guess, by our friend Pablo F7Z, who doesn't sleep anymore, I guess, because he's released this and it says, why Noster? Proof of concept for collaborative document editing on Noster. It enables experimental collaborative document editing over Noster. Quote, this is a new document that I'm writing using collab-lemon.vercel.app, which allows for collaborative editing of documents on Noster, according to Pablo F7Z. The cool part, hold on for a sec. I gotta, I gotta get back. I gotta get back to something because zap.stream is being weird for whatever reason. It booted me out of my own shit. Okay. This is a new document I'm writing using collab-lemon.vercel.app, which allows for collaborative editing of documents on Noster, announced Pablo F7Z. Quote, the cool part is that this very simple tool that I basically wrote in one hour last night, Jesus, has some interesting primitives that can allow for a decentralized wiki. Oh, a Noster wiki. I can't wait to see this shit happen because nobody's going to be able to tell you the truth better than a bunch of Bitcoin holding plebs, right? In this flow, I can invite editors to collaborate with me. They can suggest changes and I can see them typing in real time. When they suggest a change, they essentially create a fork of my document, which I can then resign as my own or rather not resign, re-sign as my own, essentially accepting their changes. The cool thing is that suggesting edits is not restricted to the people that I authorize. Anyone can do it. In my Why Noster client, these unauthorized edits are displayed separately and only if you choose to see them. But anyone can see them, which means that anyone can fork my document and create their own competing document. Nice. I'm offline again. Why am I offline? Uh, just hold, hold let, me, let me just finish this one one part. From a wiki perspective, this could mean that I write an entry for Second World War. The entry might be fully biased, and I might leave out a bunch of nuance. You coming at it from a different perspective, said the developer. So how it works: a user can invite other users to edit a document, uh, like for instance a long form or any other kind of document. The invitees can be added or removed at will by the owner of the document, not the site, the document. The user send ephemeral events while live editing and can hit save to propose a new version of the document. Everybody sees what all of the others are doing and they see it in real time. Documents can be forked so any of the invitees or anybody else if the document is allowed to be public, can fork the document and continue working on their own version. So he's using, so Pablo F7Z, the absolute dude that he is, hold on for a second. Let me get my, gonna see what's going on with my zap stream before we get into this. I think it's possible that zap.stream is just down. Let's see, is my... No, my streaming stuff is still going. It looks like zap.stream may be down. Or somehow or another. Wait a minute. This is bizarre. I should be able to I should be able to stream. 
Hold on. I'm almost there, guys. I promise. I'm almost there. No, see, I've got Satoshis. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. This is bizarre. Oh, well. Yes, you know, sometimes things just don't work the way that you want them to work. So we're just going to, I'm just going to go on. So the why Nostra thing. Pablo, one of one of the things about developers is that you can, after a while of, of, of getting, to, you know, seeing their work, you start to see what they're more concerned about. Pablo seems to be very concerned or like, one, not concerned, what's the word? Pablo seems to be one of those people that is fascinated by writing. You can look at like all, most of the stuff that he's done, the, especially the stuff that I use, like Shipyard, is about writing. Not it's not like like bloody technical or or like you know how to you know do lightning stuff in, inside of inside of Noster at a, at a base level. It's more about how to develop these user experiences. And one of the things that that Pablo seems just really centered around is writing. So it's not surprising that he comes up with this. But the the fact that I can put a document up and say, can you guys, you know, help me write this article for, you know, Bitcoin Magazine? And like, let's say I get two other people that are really interested. They really, you know, say, hey, man, this paragraph is jack, dude. Let me rewrite this for you. Make it sound a little bit better. Oh, and by the way, you got this wrong. I'll fix that shit too. And then all of a sudden we submit the entire document after we're all said and done because we've got three pairs of eyes looking at it, submit it to, I don't know, Bitcoin Magazine or TFTC or for writing about, you know, like, I don't know, farm and ranch. Maybe we're submitting it over to Texas, my good friend, Texas Slim at the Beef Initiative and his newsletter. Who knows? But the point is, is that I don't have to be alone. And the thing that for me, if you don't, if you've never met me or you don't know me very well, then you don't know something about me. I don't like working alone. I can do it. I've been doing this, this, you know, this podcast for five years, over five years alone, no producer, no, no, nothing, just me. And it's not that I hate it. You know, I, there are some things that I don't mind doing by myself, but if I want to work like at a job, I want to work as part of a team. I don't want to just be by myself. And this from Pablo, this why Noster looks like it's, it's going to make, writing collaborative again in a way that is just going to be available to everybody with a freaking pair of Noster keys. Again, if you're not on Noster, what are you waiting for? I don't get it. I don't get it. Claim your namespace. Learn how to use it. We're having a hell of a lot more fun on Noster than people are on Twitter. I've been able to finally get back into Twitter by using, like I had to start up a brand new account, the whole ball of wax, I got hardly any followers. I'm definitely not to the 8,000 followers. I'm like at 150 followers. My last account had 8,000. And I'm never going to see that again because of the way that Twitter's being run. On Noster, I blew past 8,000 followers like two weeks ago. Right? I mean, and it's nobody can tell me what to say. Nobody can make me delete a post. They can ask me to delete a post. And even if I could, I wouldn't. But I can't because it's Noster. What stay what gets put up on Noster stays on Noster essentially almost forever, depending on what relays you hit. I'm not going to get into the guts and feathers. But what I am saying is that if you want to use some of the coolest tools and be part of watching their development, 
You're not going to see that on Facebook. You're not going to see it on Instagram. You're not going to see it on Twitter. You're not going to see it on any of the other bullshit social media applications that everybody's using right now. Everybody's using it because they're trapped. They're trapped by their own audience. They don't want to lose their users. They're addicted to the hot, the opium hits and the whatever the hopium hits that they get when somebody likes their tweets and shit like that. And they're never, ever going to let it go. But I am begging you for your own sanity. If you're tired of the hate machine that is Twitter and you want to have some fun and marvel at some of the absolute fabulous shit that can be written with two lines of code in an hour by our friend Pablo F7Z, you're, you're going to have to come over to Noster. You're just going to have to do it. And every once in a while, I will bitch and moan in your ear because I always assume that everybody that's listening to me is on Noster, and that is not true. If you're not on Noster, get on Noster. Please, for the love of God. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Bitwise. Bitcoin spot ETF addresses have updated to native SegWit P2WPKH. With this upgrade, we're dividing BITB, that's the Bitwise Bitcoin spot ETF, Bitcoin holdings across 13 P2WPKH addresses and will continue to add new addresses as the fund's asset under management grows, the company said, quote, today, the Bitwise Bitcoin ETFs, Bitcoin addresses at Coinbase custody have the qualified custodian of BITB's holdings have been upgraded from P2PKH to native SegWit P2WPKH announced Bitwise. Though both versions are time-tested and secure, the new one is a widely utilized enhancement. As a specialist, Bitwise brings technical expertise to our role as asset manager. We're proud to announce this upgrade. We appreciate the experienced team at Coinbase Custody promptly addressing our request. The company added, quote, investors will continue to be able to verify the holdings transparently on chain, a unique capability that's fundamental to the Bitcoin blockchain. All are listened, listed at bitbetf.com. That's B-I-T. B-E-T-F dot com. Bitwise is one of two Bitcoin spot ETF providers that's allocating a portion, 10% of its ETF proceeds to support open source Bitcoin development with no strings attached. Late in January, it became the first Bitcoin spot ETF to publicly disclose its Bitcoin holding addresses. BitMEX research has been keeping tabs on all of the spot Bitcoin activity Here's how the funds compare as of February 14th, 2024. And it looks like Bitwise is in second position right now. So there's BlackRock, there's Fidelity, and then Bitwise coming in at number three. Congratulations, guys. And by the way, when they say that they're devoting 10% of their uh, ETF proceeds to open source uh, developers in Bitcoin, they're doing it for 10 years. So just be aware. Be aware that this is a long, a long time play. It's not just 10% for this year. It's 10% every year for 10 years, this being the first year. So they've got all of this year and nine more years to go to help Bitcoin developers, you know, feed themselves and, you know, get clothes and stuff like that. Finally up today, Hole Punch unveils open source P2P app development platform pair runtime. Quote, 
We've open sourced roughly 100 repos today, continually real, uh, containing really cool innovation that we've been working on the last year, said Matthias Bus Madsen, CEO of Hole Punch. Quote, created by Hole Punch, a tether-backed company, Pair Runtime enables unlimited apps to be created using tried and tested open source peer-to-peer infrastructure with the promise of zero server infrastructure costs ever to developers, as was stated in the press release. Quote, we challenge the conventional notion that servers are indispensable to online interaction and reject the idea that communications between users necessitates connection to mysterious data centers. We aim to dismantle the misconception that launching a digital enterprise requires exorbitant server infrastructure costs, said Paolo Arduino, Hole Punch co-founder and chief strategy officer. Quote, we encourage all developers to explore our code at www.pairs.com where you will have the freedom to build any app you envision. We are committed to supporting you throughout your app development journey, empowering you to create your own unique business models free from the constraints of server costs, added Matthias. Quote, among these, uh, github.com forward slash hole punch two forward slash pair, which is the runtime. It's an insane piece of engineering led by David Markham. Run apps from the swarm, live anywhere in the world, unstoppable. Keat IO runs on this, including Keat IO Mobile. And in the next days or weeks, we'll be releasing more and more tooling that allows you to easily port any runtime app to mobile. It's pretty nuts. Quote, Pair Runtime runs on a new JavaScript runtime that we've been developing. It's called Bear. B-A-R-E. Bear is incredible. It's the JavaScript runtime I've wanted for my entire life. It's embed first, which means it runs everywhere. It runs on mobile. It runs on desktop. It just runs, 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 runs on embedded devices. It comes with no STD library, but with small modules on our GitHub or whatever the community makes to make apps focus on being apps. This is powerful as it means you can pick and choose exactly what you need for your environment. Interesting. It runs on a JS abstraction we've made called LIBJS. So go check it out. www.pairs, P-E-A-R-S, like the fruit. It's like a pear, right? Pears.com. Just go to pears.com, P-E-A-R-S.com, and figure out how it works. I'm not a developer, so I, I mean, I'm going to go just to look at it. But I'm not going to go thinking I'm going to create some kind of app. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Okay, just a reminder before we leave you, uh, if you want some maple syrup, I would start placing your orders now with my good friend Beisnerds. That is at B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S. Both on Twitter as well as Noster. It's the same handle, B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S. Tell him you heard about his maple syrup. And by the way, his sister Sarah makes some pretty good soap. So sister Sarah's soaps is probably also something that you're going to want to ask him about. Anyway, he'll get, he'll get you both of them. And if you tell him that you heard it here on the Bitcoin and podcast in the Circle P, he'll cut me in on some of that sweet action. Get it? I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.